Now, loved ones, let's turn our full attention to the Word of God. Our Old Testament reading is Psalm 133. Psalm 133. This is God's Word. Let's give it our full attention now. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Wonderful psalm, speaking of the unity of the people of God, uh, the unity that they have in their high priest and in, and in their king as well. Um, it's that unity that we see Christ calling us to and instructing us in, in Matthew 18, our New Testament text here, Matthew 18, 15 through 20. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two, or th- two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Amen. Thanks be to God for his word. Pray with me now that he bless it to us. Our gracious Lord God, we do thank you for your word. Lord, we know that we are not yet what we one day will be. We know that we are far from that. But Lord, your grace is all sufficient. Your save, uh, the, the Savior you've given, your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, is a sufficient Savior, both for the guilt of sin and for the power of sin. And so we pray that what we are not, you would indeed make us more and more, instructing us in holiness and keeping us close to our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in His name we pray. Amen. Here we are in the middle of Matthew chapter 18. Last Sunday, we we, we started Matthew 18, uh, which is this fourth of five main teaching blocks we get in Matthew's Gospel. And this this one, all, all the teaching blocks are about the kingdom of heaven, uh, and, and Jesus' purpose for the kingdom of heaven and the nature of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, but the fourth one in particular is about the community of, of, of life within the kingdom. Jesus is, is establishing this great kingdom and he's, he, he's calling together, he's calling out and together his church, this new people of God, a renewed Israel. And he's saying now, what, how do you live in this kingdom? What, what principles control life in my church. And last week we saw that it's humility. It's becoming like a child, knowing your neediness and your dependence on God and knowing that you are in the lowest station, the least of all, and living towards others with with, with that kind of 
of, of understanding of yourself and, and of a great love for, for them. Um, and, and it's this beautiful picture, isn't it? We, we saw this last Sunday, just the stunning picture of what life can be like in Christ's church, where, where people aren't looking out for their own interests only, but also for the interests of others and counting others more significant than themselves and living under the gospel together. It's a beautiful picture. That's what Christ's church is to be, but that's not all Christ's church is, is it? Sometimes Christ's church looks the opposite of that. Sometimes you get that beautiful picture of, of loving unity and humility, and then sometimes sin comes and just slashes a knife right through the picture. And it looks ruined. You see it in the Gospels, the way the disciples fight and elbow each other and try to get the front position themselves. Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? You see it in, in, in the churches that the apostles are writing their letters to that we see in the New Testament. Right? Why are there factions among you? Why are there divisions among you? Don't you know you're one in Christ, Paul writes? And we, we see it in ourselves. If you've been in any church for much time, um, you'll, you'll know this, right? And, and, and brothers and sisters, it doesn't take anything for me to me to persuade you of this. Uh, I'm sure most of you, many of you, perhaps all of you know in your heart, very personally, what it is to be sinned against by another person in Christ's church. And th th this place, this church, which is supposed to be a place of refuge for sinners, and, 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 and a place where, where there is mutual love and humility and unity, and yet there is so much pain still sometimes. And you know that. What, what, what are we to do with this? That, that, uh, that, um, this hard reality, right? That we are living, yes, in the kingdom of heaven, but it's not a finished kingdom. And we are standing cheek and jowl with sinners and bringing pain to each other. Um, what do we do with this? In his little book, Life Together, uh, the theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German theologian uh, from the middle of the 20th century, writes about Christian community and, and life together. And he, he writes these uh, profound words. He says this, the serious Christian set down for the first time in a Christian community is likely to bring with him a very definite idea of what Christian life together should be and try to realize it. But God's grace speedily shatters such dreams. Just as surely as God desires to lead us to a knowledge of genuine Christian fellowship, so surely we must be overwhelmed by a great disillusionment with others, with Christians in general, and if we are fortunate, with ourselves. By sheer grace, God will not permit us to live in a dream world. Only that fellowship which faces such disillusionment with all its unhappy and ugly aspects begin to be what it should be in God's sight. See what he's saying? The grace of God is what is disillusioning you of that wish-dream idea of a utopia in the church. The church of Christ is not a dream world. It's a community of sinners called together uh, uh, to, to live together under the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And so it's the grace of God that, that does this for us and, and leads us straight to these words of our Lord Jesus Christ here. Christ here is giving us directions and wisdom on how to live well in a community like this where, yes, we are sinners, um, but we have hope together. We're, we're disillusioned with ourselves too, right? We're humbled ourselves by, by, by Christ. And, and, and so, no, it's not easy to be standing in the wreckage of a relationship that's been hurt, damaged, even destroyed by sin, but it's not hopeless. And Christ is telling us here in Matthew 18 that it's, that it's not hopeless. Not, not under Him, right? Because we're under His gospel. We're under His grace. We're under His rule. And therefore, sin is actually an opportunity for His grace to shine and for His glory to be revealed. So, loved ones, Jesus calls us to something better than a wish dream. He calls us to the ministry of reconciliation with each other under His gospel. That's what He's doing in this text. He's calling us to be reconciled to each other under His gospel, and He gives us wise commands about how to pursue that reconciliation here. He gives us a process, a very helpful process. Three steps to this process, and what we're going to do for the remainder of our time is unpack the steps of reconciliation Jesus outlines for us here. So let's start. Verse 15, step one, confront your brother. Jesus tells us, confront your brother. He commands us to confront those who sin against us in his church. Beloved, this might be one of his most ignored commands and his hardest commands. We do not like confrontation. We don't like causing a stir, uh, right? Let's just, not, let's, let's just not rock the boat here, right? That's our preference. But there's no getting around this. Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, confront him. Go to him. But he gives us careful instruction and guidelines about how we're to do this. Um, he teaches us three things here about this first step, about how to confront someone who's sinned against you. He tells us when you go. He tells us how you go. He tells us why you go in this first step. First, notice what Jesus says about when you go to confront your brother. Um, it's for when your brother sins against you. He doesn't say if your brother annoys you or if your brother... Um, accidentally steps in your toes or his personality rubs you the wrong way, go give him a piece of your mind. Right, that's not the instruction. If your brother sins against you, often loved ones or relationships are, are, uh, are, are, are strained by things that should not strain them, uh, that are not sin. And yes, if there's a personality quirk about someone and it is bothering you, talk in a gentle way about it, but that's not really what Christ is talking about here. He's talking about when, when your brother sins against you. So the standard by which you're measuring here is not, not your personal feelings, but the law of God. Has my brother not just offended me, but has he broken God's law? Right? See, it, it's, it, Christ is redirecting our attention. We, we get offended so easily just because of our own, you know, our, our own hubris and ego. But Jesus directs our attention Godward here. Even when we've been sinned against, he calls us to think carefully before we go confront our brother then. Has my brother sinned against, against God and how he treats me? Um, we should be careful to think 
to think through that. Another thing to consider here, loved ones, as Christ tells us about, about when to go confront our, our brother or sister in Christ, we need to balance what he says here in the larger context of Scripture. So um, other Scriptures tell us to overlook offenses. Um, Proverbs 19.11 says it's a man's glory to overlook an offense. 1 Peter 4.8 tells us love covers a multitude of sins. 1 Corinthians 13.14 tells us, uh, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 13.4 tells us that love is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. So you, you, if your brother sins against you, you don't have to go confront him. Right? Sometimes wisdom says, no, overlook this one. Let this one go. Right? That, that's often probably the, the, the best course to take. Um, not to judge each other too harshly. Treat others the way we want them to treat us. I want you to be patient with me and my sin. And if you can't overlook it, to overlook it. Uh, uh, so that's how I should also treat you, with, with forbearance and grace and, and kindness. We're not policing each other in the church. Um, but loved ones, there's a danger. There, there, there's some dangers in overlooking offenses, aren't there? Um, if you are uh, uh, telling yourself, well, I'm just going to I'll, I'll overlook this, this sin against me, right? it can turn into a feeling of superiority. You start to feel better than that person. Well, I'm... I'm being magnanimous. Uh, they sinned, but you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the high road, and, I, and I'm not going to address it. Uh, but, 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 but you don't really let it go. You kind of just puff yourself up. You start to look down on them. And, 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 or, or if you say, well, I'll, I'll overlook the offense, but I'm not going to be their friend anymore. If, if, that, if that thing starts to get in the way of your relationship with them, you're not really overlooking it. You haven't forgiven them if you're not able to have just as close, if not better, a relationship before they sinned against you as, they, uh, as, as you did after. Um, if you're going to overlook an offense, if you're going to commit to that, really commit to that, really forgive from your heart and, and forget it and move on and make a promise you're not going to let that offense stand in the way of your relationship with that person anymore. Now, if you can't do that, and that's not always what we should do. Sometimes the wiser course is to say, well, I do need to go speak to my brother about this thing. This is a serious sin, uh, and it needs to be addressed. And sometimes wisdom calls for that. And so we need to, by the grace of God, go do that. Go and confront. So, loved ones, think carefully. Um, if there's a serious sin that someone has committed against you, and if they've done it again and again, um, uh, go, go, go to them. Um, that, that, go, go to them out of love. That sin is going to pollute your brother or sister's soul. So go and, and, and speak to him about it. Uh, that, that sin may well hurt another. Go speak to them about it. And you may yourself not be able to uh, uh, forgive that brother or sister until you've spoken with them about it. So go. Um, loved ones, it's not, it's not easy. It, it, it's, it's, it's often easy to talk about how we've been sinned against to others. But oh, to go to the person who sinned against you and confront them gently, lovingly, truthfully, and honestly. But that is what we are called by Jesus to do. That's when you go. The second thing Jesus tells us here is how you go and confront your brother. Jesus says, Go alone. Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. 
keep the circle of sin small. Keep, keep, keep who knows about it as small as possible. Go straight to the person who sinned against you. No one else needs to know about how your brother sinned against you until you've gone to your brother yourself, one-on-one, just you and him, and you speak to him about it. Uh, this is hard to do. All right, I, I know this is hard to do. I hate confrontation. Right? Fear of man so often gets the better of us. But this is what God calls us to um, we, uh, if we don't do this, we start, we start um, uh, bottling things up that should be addressed, and, and then it starts coming out in gossip in the church, and it starts coming out in, in, in grudges in the church, and dislikes spreading in the church, and it's like salt getting under your car, and, and, and just building up and building up all winter, and corroding and rusting, and it's never taken care of. It's just overlooked. We need to go to each other, loved ones, one-on-one, First. Now there's a caveat to that. Use wisdom. If there's abuse happening in a relationship, it's probably not best to go first one on one because it's just going to be an opportunity for more abuse. But as a general rule, 99.9% of the time, go directly to the person who sinned against you before you tell anyone else. Go to that person. And, uh, and speak to them. And then Jesus tells us why you go. Here he says, uh, why, why you go? What's the goal? The goal is not to give him a piece of your mind. The goal is not revenge. The goal is to gain your brother. The goal is reconciliation. Jesus says, if he hears you, you've gained your brother If you don't go, you don't gain your brother. But oh, Jesus says, if you go and he hears you, you gain your brother back. The grace of God gets to work. The glory of God shines forth as two sinners forgive and as the relationship is healed. It's a beautiful thing what the gospel can do to a broken relationship. So, loved ones, this is is what our Lord Jesus Christ calls us to, this first step, uh, to go to uh, those who sinned against us. Loved ones, obey Christ. Uh, pray for His help. Consider wisely His Word and then go to your brother who sinned against you in these ways and, and, and speak the truth and love and, and call Him to repentance and then give forgiveness. That's the first step in this process. But then Jesus says, well, what, 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 if, the, what, what if it doesn't work? What if your brother says, I'm not having this. You, you can't talk to me like that. I didn't sin. I didn't do anything wrong. You, you were the one in the wrong, and he's not listening to you. Um, what, what do you do then? You, you keep going. Jesus doesn't say, well, after you've gone uh, once, you go get someone else. You can. Uh, but uh, he doesn't tell us the amount of times we need to go first individually to our brother, use wisdom in that process. But once it seems like it's not getting anywhere, then you go and you get some help. You go get some help. Now, this is step two that Jesus gives us. Take along another, he tells us. Verse 16. Step two, take along another. There's a wonderful commitment that we see here in our Lord Jesus to reconciliation in his church. We see how much this matters to him, don't we? Um, uh, we're, we're, we're tempted to give up, I think, pretty quickly on trying to be reconciled with each other, right? Sometimes I don't even feel like taking step one. 
and going myself. But then dragging the process out, he didn't listen. I don't want to keep pushing this. I don't want to go get somebody, get someone else involved. Right? We, we get tired. But, but uh, it's laziness, brothers and sisters. And it's a lack of love for one another. Christ says, no, you've got to have this kind of commitment to each other. That you're going to keep on going and do everything you can until the relationship is restored. Jesus says if step one doesn't lead to reconciliation, then take step two. Don't throw up your hands and walk away. No, go get a wise brother or sister in Christ. Someone who is mature, someone who knows how to hold their tongue, uh, who won't spread this around and gossip. Go get one or two even, two two others, and, and go together so that they can give counsel, so they can give help and support, so they can give a fresh perspective on, on, on the conversation that you're having, so they can be witnesses to the process and, and that wit, bear witness to the fact that you're going about this the right way. Um, th- this is the wisdom that, that Christ gives us here. It's, it's wisdom rooted in the Old Testament. He quotes Deuteronomy 19.15. Bring witnesses. Don't rely on your own wisdom alone. That's step two. But sadly, there are times when someone still refuses to repent. You've gone to them. You've gone to them a few times, many times, on your own. You've gone and you've gotten a trustworthy friend and you've gone together. Maybe you've got another friend and gone together, but still there's no repentance. What do you do? What do you do then? Jesus gives us the third step. Step three, tell it to the church, he says, verses 17 through 20. Tell it to the church. Does it strike you as strange that he say that? Tell it to the church? Um, it strikes me at first as a little bit strange. Is this the church's business? This is just an individual offense, isn't it? This person sinned against this other individual person. Why, why, why bring this to the church? We live in a, in a, in a hyper-individualistic culture, right? Um, I think sometimes we can look at the church as kind of like um, uh, going, to, going to a concert or a sports game, right? You're here with your fellow fans, but there's no real formal binding relationship together. You come, then you go. Um, but that's not how Christ sees his church. That's not how Christ has ordered his church, brothers and sisters. The church is this congregation of God's people whom he's called out of the world to himself. It's his family. It's the body of Christ. He has bound us together in himself by his spirit. We are one. We're not in a casual, informal relationship with each other. We are together members of Christ's body. We've taken vows to him. We've taken vows to each other, too, about how we're going to treat one another. And so, no, these are not light things. And and, and we're accountable to each other. We need, then, this third step that Christ gives us. If your brother is still refusing to repent, you've done step one, you've done step two, take take him to the church. Does Jesus mean, then, uh, you stand up before the service in the announcements time and say, I want everyone to know how how so-and-so treated me last week. Is that what he's saying? Or send out a church email. I want everyone to know. All right, I'm taking this to the church. Matthew 18 says so. Here's how so-and-so treated me last month. Is that what he's saying? Um, Wisdom suggests there's a better way to do this, right? God's Word also. right? If we look at the, the wider context again of God's Word and allow other texts to inform us, I think they have a lot to say to us about step three here that God is... Uh, 
that God is, is giving us. And I think the step that Jesus is teaching us here, step three is take it to the elders. Take it to the elders. There's a few texts of Scripture which kind of flesh out why I think Jesus means by take it to the church, take it to the, the officers in Christ's church, the elders in the church. Um, I've got six texts. Uh, we'll, we'll just move through them pretty quick here. But this fleshes out for us, I think, the reasoning here behind why I'm saying it's, it's the elders that Jesus is, is saying we should take this to. Um, first of all, notice what Jesus says right here in verse 18 in the context of, of this section we're reading. He says in, in verse 18 here, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Jesus is giving his church authority to bind and to loose. That's church discipline. Um, uh, um, to, to say, I, I receive you into the kingdom of Christ or I excommunicate you from the kingdom of Christ. He's given his church the authority, delegated authority, that, that if you, that to, to open and close the doors, as it were. Um, to say, if you don't repent, you, know, you have no place in the kingdom, but if you repent, you receive into the kingdom. But, but how is that authority then carried out? How, how is that authority that Christ has given to his church for, for, for church discipline like that, how, how is that to be exercised in a wise, loving, and, and faithful way? Um, one member of the church can't go to another member of the church and say, I excommunicate you from the kingdom, right? No. Christ has not given individual members the authority to do that. Um, to answer this question then, we look at another text, Matthew 16, verse 19. So just a couple chapters back, Matthew 16, verse 19, Jesus says something that's almost identical with what he's saying here about church authority and, and, and church discipline. He says to his apostles in verse 19 of chapter 16, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed. In heaven. He's speaking to his disciples as the apostles, as the foundation of his, of his church. He's, he's building this church. On this foundation, I'll build my church. And, and he's giving them this, uh, this, this authority. Uh, and they're going to exercise this authority under Christ, for Christ, um, uh, for, for his sake. So Christ is giving, right? We see the principle here. He gives officers in his church this authority. Third text, just continuing to flesh out the picture here. Um, this one's in the Old Testament, uh, Deuteronomy 19. Now, Jesus has already quoted from Deuteronomy 19 in this very chapter, just a couple verses ago. He, he, um, he talks about uh, you taking two or three, uh, one or two witnesses along with you to confront an unrepentant brother. He's quoting Deuteronomy 19.15. But if you keep reading in Deuteronomy chapter 19, you come to uh, verse 17 which tells the Israelites that if they're having a dispute, they take it to the priests. Those whom God has appointed to decide disputes in his kingdom. It's right there in the context, right, of Deuteronomy 19 that Jesus is quoting. Deuteronomy 19:17. let me go ahead and read it. Both parties to the dispute shall appear before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who are in office in those days. So God delegates authority to officers in his kingdom. And then we see this in the New Testament, too. He does the same thing, our, our Lord does. Um, Ephesians 4.11, the fourth text, tells us that Christ gives 
officers to his church, gives them uh, evangelists, pastors, teachers. In our fifth text, Titus 2.15, Paul tells this young pastor, Titus, exhort and rebuke, rebuke with all authority. And then one more text, Hebrews 13.17, obey your leaders and submit to them for they're keeping watch over your souls. So you see the picture that's taking shape as we, as we look at these texts. And there are many more we could consider. But, but Christ, Christ is establishing his church. And, he, and, he's, and he's commissioning he's, he's, he's officers for his church. And he's, and he's saying, you don't have authority in yourselves, but I'm, I'm, I'm delegating my authority to you that you can care for this church, protect this church, shepherd this church, discipline this church as my under-shepherds. This is, so just to bring it back now and sum up as we come to Matthew 18, the implication of step three, tell it to the church, is take, take it to the elders who've been given authority by Christ himself to deal with this uh, matter for, 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 for his sake. Jesus presses this point home with really surprising force here, loved ones. He states it very plainly that, that he is given those uh, in authority in his church uh, this kind of delegated authority. It's like they've, they've got his signet ring and they can put his stamp of, of approval on things. Um, uh, the the, the uh, implications of this are really, are really staggering. When the elders come to you and they speak the word of God, not, not their word, but when they come and they, they, they say, this is what the Bible says. That is Christ's own word and his own authority being brought to bear on you. Or when the elders come and, and they're administering discipline, rebuking you for a sin, they're coming with the very authority of Christ delegated to them to minister for his sake and in his name. And he says, Jesus says in verses 19 to 20, whatever these elders, these officers in his church ask for and do in accordance with his word, he himself will, 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 will do. Um, he says here, where two or three are gathered in his name, he is with them. Uh, in the context here, that is saying that, that, uh, that God, Jesus is with those who are exercising authority in his church. He's present with them as they practice church discipline. So discipline in the church is nothing less than the kingly reign of Christ through his officers in his church uh, um, for the sake of his church. So this is a weighty thing. Brothers and sisters, as we consider this together, um, we should again marvel in all this at the commitment of Christ to his church and reconciliation in his church. He will not just let his people wander away. He's not willing that any of his little ones should perish. That's from last week, right? Matthew 18 as well. Um, where Jesus says, take step one. And if that doesn't work, take step two. And if that doesn't work, take step three and go to them with a the very delegated authority that I've given you and plead with them for repentance and reconciliation and forgiveness for one another. Jesus calls us to love one another as he, as he shows us this, this process here. It's out of his love for his church. Praise God for this. Loved ones, praise God that, that in his church, um, if you fall into sin, 
if you drift, if, 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 you, if you start to backslide in your faith, start to wander, that your brothers and sisters will come after you. They'll, they'll look for you. And that if you are stubborn in that sin and not repentant yet, they're going to keep coming after you. And uh, they're going to take steps one after another, pleading humbly with you to repent and, and, and turn back. They'll, they'll warn you. They'll, 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 they'll plead with you. Praise God for this, brothers and sisters. I am so thankful to know that there are brothers and sisters who are keeping me accountable. We should praise God for this. We should also praise God that there are, if there are those in His church who will not repent, who keep on sinning and keep on breaking relationships and keep on in rebellion against God, that there is a process by which they are no longer made, they're, they're no longer part of the church. That, that, that Christ protects His church in this way. We see this, as Jesus says in verse 17, if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Right? Someone who has no place in the kingdom. Um, why? Why? Because this protects the name of Christ. This protects the purity of church of the church. This protects those in the church. Uh, and, it, it, uh, it, and it tells the unrepentant sinner that um, it's no good pretending to be a Christian they need to truly repent, turn from their sins, and be saved. Well, brothers and sisters, we've walked through these steps, the three steps Jesus gives us for how to handle it when uh, we are sinned against in the church. And uh, as, as we've said, we're not living in a dream world. Church is full of sinners. Um, I'm one of them, and so are you, right? Um, if you have not experienced that firsthand yet, you will. Um, but praise the Lord, He's given us this wonderful process, this wise process from the very mind of Christ for us. But maybe you're thinking, well, Pastor, a process is fine. On paper, sounds good. But to actually roll up my sleeves, take the risk, get hurt doing it, Follow it through. Right. That's hard. Um, and you know what? That's just not me. That's, I don't want to... The situation I'm in, I'm just going to... That's not what I want to do. I don't want to bother going after my brother or my sister. It's not worth the trouble. You know, it's easier to gossip and just feel like I got even that way than have to go and try to reconcile this painful relationship. It's nice to have a process. But I don't have what it takes to see the process through. What do we do then? Well, more than a process, loved ones, we've been given a person, haven't we? Um, we've been given our Lord Jesus Christ. We've, we've, been, we've been looking so closely here at the words of Christ, but don't forget who's speaking the words, loved ones. Is it not our Lord Jesus Christ Himself? But don't lose sight of Him as you listen to what He's saying about this, this process He's outlining for us, right? Who is it? Who is saying to you, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault? It's Jesus. And, and what did he do when his people, for years after years after years after years, sinned against him? Throw up his hands, walk away, not worth it? 
He took on flesh. And he suffered. And he died. No cost was too great for our Lord Jesus Christ to be reconciled and to reconcile you to his Father in heaven. He's the one who says to you, if your brother sins against you, go. Because he came to you and was reconciled to you. And he's given us this gospel, loved ones. And so we're living under the gospel together in the church. Um, He's brought us near to God. He's not just giving us a process. He's giving us the gospel here. That at every step of this process, it's, it's the grace of God in the gospel that's to flood that step of the process. That you're forgiven, I'm forgiven, I'm in Christ, you're in Christ, let's be reconciled. Paul writes about this wonderful reality in Ephesians 2, 13-19. He says this, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for He Himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances so that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Paul is saying there's the Jews as the Gentiles and no reconciliation between them. Christ comes and by His blood he, he destroys the dividing wall between them, brings them together in His one body um, and kills the hostility. And if He has done that, right, He can do it again. He can do it in us. And by His, by his grace we can be reconciled. So loved ones, this is not an impersonal process that we take and plug in and then we get the right result. Right, this, is, uh, this is the way we apply the gospel with wisdom when we sin against one another. Even when it's hard, even when we don't want to, he was persistent with us. He was unrelenting in his grace and his pursuit of us. And so, loved ones, let us also go after one another because he is present with us in our midst, exercising his authority, his wise and gracious rule. Therefore, we gladly submit when we're found in sin. I began with a quote from Bonhoeffer about uh, life together. And let me end with one as well. Bonhoeffer says, The ground and strength and promise of all our fellowship is in Jesus Christ alone. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the redemption that he has purchased with His own blood. Thank You that He has saved us from our sins. Grow us in grace, O God. For His sake, teach us holiness and give us courage to follow through with His commandments. We pray in His precious name. Amen.